Hello and welcome to the This Is So Exhausting podcast where we offer an intimate insight from some of the industry's leading experts and how they see the future of the emissions industry developing. It's great to be back and uh, I am Tim Chain. It is indeed great to be back Tim and I am George Adina Joby. And today we are really glad to have Jack Riddle and Forker Brixen uh, joining us for an industry discussion. Both are coming, joining us from Purim by Eberspecher um, and uh, have decades in, in, mo- in both cases of industry experience. So welcome to, to the podcast, Jack. Welcome to the podcast, Volker. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, because uh, our audience needs to know, have some idea of what you guys do, I'll, I'll give a, a very short intro to both of your bios um, as, as some background. Uh, firstly, Jack Jack Riddle, you're, uh, you've had 27 years experience in the auto industry. 17 of those have been with Eberspecher, now, now Purim by Eberspecher. Um, before that, you were involved in the auto industry uh, with Ford in the components division, which of course became uh, Vistian. Your, your, your education background is in mechanical engineering from Iowa State University, and you did a master's in automotive engineering, you said very slowly at night school at the very University slowly, of Michigan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've really put the, you've, you've burnt the midnight oil to get uh, to get your qualifications in. Um, but uh, so you've got that master's in, in auto systems engineering. Um, you're currently working on advanced products in the North American market for for the uh, automotive in- emissions area. Uh, Falke, you've got also 20 years in the uh, auto supply industry. Previously, you worked at Bosch and Borg Warner. Uh, now with Purim by Eberspecher, um, and for two years in the in in, in Purim by Eberspecher, you, your touch points have been after treatment, especially Euro 4 introduction. Uh, which has been uh, focused on DPF regeneration support with active heating and on the non-road area tier 3B4 interim uh, with burner solutions. And you are responsible for the global advanced engineering activities, currently looking especially at active heating solutions for for Euro 7, with the ultra-low NOx and heat management so important. And that's going to be a key area of of discussion today. So Mm -hmm. great to have you both on board. We love having... uh, people who know much more than us, so we can ask all the questions. <laughs> it's, it's been a while, let's just say that. Um, mm-hmm. We've had a, a really l- long summer, um, and a lot of people have been asking us, where's the podcast, George? Where's, we want to listen to the This Is So Exhausting segment. So Jack and Volker, I don't know who wants to go first. Maybe we'll do an alphabetical order. So Jack, <laughs> no pressure here. You know, what is your This Is So Exhausting story? All right. Well, uh, I noticed a lot of the uh, exhausting stories are um, about our experience during COVID times, you know, uh, for better or worse. Uh, personally, I have one thing about me. I have three uh, sons, uh, age 16 through 21, and uh, two of them, you know, would have been at university. And uh, during this time frame, all three were at home. One ended up taking uh, more or less a sabbatical, a gap year and working. And then the other one was uh, uh, doing uh, virtual learning from home. And uh, also gyms were closed, of course, things like that. I have exercise equipment in the garage. They are all three and it's commendable. They were working out all the time. They are cooking on their own according to their own nutrition schedules because kids these days know so they know how many grams of protein they need and carbs and what time and so on. And they were good at all that and good at their studies. 
I was constantly going to the store and buying more food. And the one thing they didn't do well at all cooking is is they didn't they don't clean up after themselves very well. So it seemed like a, a second full time job uh, feeding and cleaning these guys, you know, despite that they were doing all their own cooking. So it was a uh, yeah a lot of work, and gradually we're getting more back to normal. So some side effects for me. <laughs> If you don't mind me asking, Jack, how, how old are your kids? Because I mean, for them to be doing, is it they call it the ma- macros of the? I don't. I am not a gym buff, but like to, to know the ins and outs of how much your protein and carbs you're eating. Yeah, those sort of guys. Yeah, oh, for sure. Well, they're 16, 19, and 21. But to be quite honest, they all kind of started that in more or less eighth grade, which is say 14 here. Um, I don't know. I mean, kids these days, you know, there's so much information available if they're interested in something. They could they know a lot more than, you know, we did when I was a kid. Right. Uh, quite a bit more. So um, anything they're interested in, they can they can learn about. So which, again, that's commendable. But it just, you know, it, it's I'm glad they're doing that. <laughs> Cleaning up after them and buying all the food ended up being a lot of work somehow. So. <laughs> Three, three, three boys of that age. That's going to be quite a serious food budget, I think. <laughs> Especially yeah, yeah. It, it was right. It, it for sure was. Yeah, <laughs> still is a bit. It was. I always wonder. Um, if you, I mean, do your kids know what an encyclopedia is? Because I remember when I was younger, that that was my go-to resource for homework, right? And, right, and, and right. If any any homework that we would get from school, I had to open up a book, find it. And there were some, uh, you know, some awful pictures in there. They're lucky if they had any pictures in there. Um, and you had to find it from A to Z or you had to go to the library. But information is so accessible these days. I mean, do kids know what an encyclopedia is these days? I don't I know. Think, I think they've heard of it. You know, they've yeah. probably heard uh, old people like myself talk about and when we had to use this, you know, and that's probably about it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, surely they've they've never used it on their own other than Wikipedia. So. <laughs> yeah it's like a museum piece now isn't it as yeah, they yeah. Can for, sure. for sure well volker volker i'm interested to hear your story what's yeah it's exhausting you over in, in germany yeah. other than watching, was, watching um yeah. england beat germany at football well that's certainly not the story i want to talk about <laughs> uh, thank goodness <laughs> yeah uh, um and uh, i was enjoying listening to jack's story here because i got also sons uh, age 16 and 19 and i would be wishing that they would be doing some more cooking and uh, <laughs> watching out for their nutrition but uh, uh so but that's not my story my story is actually uh i live in a mid-sized town north of stuttgart here in germany and um, now with um, many people being vaccinated and lower incidences uh, we are returning to the office bit by bit uh, not completely but um, so i'm now commuting more again to the office and um, it's it's really a pain some city planner here in ludwigsburg and he has really strategically placed the uh, construction sites in a way that uh, more or less it makes you it very difficult it's like you're locked into the city so instead of five minutes getting into these this uh, um, highway it now takes me something like 20 uh, and uh, so it's it's very painful uh, and more or less when this construction sites open which Anyways, uh, I think it's already eight months ago. 
Uh, it, uh, I, I was sort of hoping that the lockdown would be continuing until this uh, construction site, but uh, I think we've seen enough of that, uh, and still that construction site is there. So I, I, I don't know what it is, but it's that's really something that is exhausting me every day. I have to go uh, uh, and into the office, and I very much hope that uh, this will be closing down soon now. So that's that's my bit uh, story here, and I think maybe some of you can relate. Um, it's it's painful when it's just so much wasted time, and somebody is uh, some folks are making that time even longer that you're wasting <laughs> on the road. Identify completely sitting in traffic, especially when there's unnecessary roadworks. It's the pits. Yeah, especially uh, that we've all spent this time at home um, a lot of days now. With zero traffic, so that that having that abrupt transition, <laughs> that sounds really bad. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, the the last time in China, I sat in traffic, maybe in a taxi, but mm -hmm. riding a riding an electric bike these days, traffic is is a breeze. I'm actually getting to places quicker than cars because I kind of upgraded sure. my bike a little bit. So. Um, it's really fast now, but safe, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah. Now, Tim, I know you were going to ask me, so I'm going to ask you first. I see you. I see you <laughs> ready, ready to ask me, uh, Tim. It's been a while. I, I've been looking forward to this. So please tell me what's going on in the world of Tim at the moment. Well, actually, Volker's Volker's uh, story it leads me very well into my into my story. Um, it's also to do with commuting and 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 on the roads and traffic. So you know. Uh, uh, I know Jack. Uh, Jack's a cyclist. I'm a keen cyclist. And um, before COVID, I would ride. To, I would cycle to to the office um, every day, commuting on my bicycle. Um, and if if you're if you're familiar with, or if you're a regular cyclist or runner, you might use an app called Strava, which is a kind of way mm -hmm. of logging your your apps. You're logging your 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 workouts. And uh, my last commute to the office on my bicycle was 12th of March 2020. Um, and I look back this wow. week and. Uh, when I noted that that workout, I, you know, the description I put was my last cycle commute until the 22nd of April, uh, which is funny looking <laughs> back because at that stage we were told um, six, five or six weeks at home and then we'd, we'd be back to normal. Of course, it's been 18 months. And uh, mm. so this this week was my first commute back to the office after after all that time. Um, and my this is so frustrating story is just the uh, similar to Volker, just kept getting back on the roads again into into the city. And, um, you know, the city planners in all in all their wisdom have put all kinds of new constructs on the roads, I think, intending to make cycling safer and easier. But but the unintended consequences has become so much more difficult because there's all these barriers, um, divisions. Are really uh, constructs that don't work uh, have never been I think look designed or looked at by a cyclist and so I found it quite frustrating having to it's like going through an obstacle course uh, instead of what mm -hmm. the old roads used to look like they've basically spent 18 months modifying the roads to try and separate cyclists from cars but uh, in a very ineffective way so I've, I found myself getting quite frustrated and actually most cyclists land up riding on the road next to the cars not even in the cycling lanes so I suspect we're going to have a few more changes to be made mm -hmm. before it becomes acceptable now that people are getting back to normal <laughs> <laughs> but good to be back good, good to be back to some normal normal life choices yes. I, I must say yeah and Georgia you, you, you're the you're the last one up on our this is so exhausting story. Do you have another 
electric bike story to tell us? I have a few, uh, but I won't, <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't use this one today. I, I can, I had a, I had a different, this is so exhausting story, but uh, in light of the, um, the, the discussion so far, I think I've been inspired by Jack and, and Volker talking about their sons. Well, I will make the official announcement on the This Is So Exhausted podcast that I am having a son. Thank you very much. I'm having a son in November. Um, so that yeah, is going to be exhausting. This <laughs> when he arrives. <laughs> Indeed, so enjoy, enjoy the peace and quiet. <laughs> Yeah, you won't need to wonder what my exhaustive story is going to be about after <laughs> November. Um, but but actually, my story is mainly about telling people that I'm having a son and hearing their reaction. And it normally is quite extreme or you always get the unsolicited unsolicited advice or, or your life is over or, or it's just a crazy you get the most craziest things people people tell you as soon as I mean this is probably the most exciting news I've ever had, and then you tell me okay George your life is over, and um, <laughs> you, you're never you're never gonna go out now, or you're never gonna have fun, or oh your son's your son's not gonna love you. And, you, know, you I've heard some crazy <laughs> stories. Um, so so for me that is definitely what is exhausting me these days. So I don't really tell people often now. I just uh, just wait until after the fact because um, uh, just unsolicited advice. People always have an opinion when you're having a. They yeah, always have an opinion. Yeah. Wow. But uh, no, no. To be honest, uh, it, it all comes from a loving place because um, it's, it's mainly friends I've told anyway. So. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Well, congratulations. Good, you. good to hear. Indeed, indeed. So. Um, but yeah, Jack Volker, let's let's get in, let's get let's get into the nitty gritty of, of of the emissions industry and how you're how you're seeing things because we're I mean we're privileged to have you both on the podcast as a third podcast with two people so uh, yeah very privileged so yeah we're very keen to pick your brains if that's okay. Sure. Pleasure being So I think maybe the first thing to to ask is is just a broad question. Um, you know the emissions regulation landscape is, is heading in similar directions globally. Uh, it's really pushing towards handling emissions at low temperatures, so low load, low speed driving. Um, areas in the test cycle where most of the knocks, most of the emissions happen. That's a key focus uh, in, in in North America and in, and in Europe and, and China. Um, and uh, also, I guess just uh, just filling out in, any other gaps uh, in terms of some of the uh, the species that are regulated uh, have been regulated in the past. You know, there's various changes coming. Um, how do you see Purim uh, Purim Biobespecha? Uh, what exciting products do you do you think are going to be able to meet um, some of these new requirements that are coming in the new round of regulations? And, and how do you, how are you positioning the company to be to be well placed to serve your customers what you know what are the things you're focusing on well um, i think you mentioned it in already a bit in my introduction that uh, we are um, currently working on and we have actually already um, 
made that public uh, in uh, some announcements uh, that we have products for uh, in the active uh, heating uh, field uh, with our two heaters, the lamella and the fractal heater, which uh, are of course helping uh, reach the uh, exhaust after treatment uh, uh, conversion earlier, in, especially in those very difficult load cases, the low load, uh, the idling uh, after cold start and so forth. Um, those are uh, two main products we uh, have there for different applications, so let's say for more constrained packaging uh, uh, challenges and then uh, for downpipe solutions where there's also a lot of focus on the on the back pressure. So those are the two types of products we put in, uh, in into the field there. Furthermore, we have, uh, let's say, an exhaust throttle valve, uh, which is also helping uh, in uh, the uh, thermal management. It was said uh, that's definitely key, besides, of course, having a very performant uh, uh, after-treatment system through the great uh, uh, um, preparation of urea via advanced mixing technologies. Jack, do you want to add something? Yeah. Um just take on that. I mean, as you mentioned, the uh, just just having top-notch mixing is is really important. Probably getting more important potentially in the future because the Bonox uh, because the requirements themselves are are getting tighter and tighter. And so that's our experience. We do have the compact rea processing unit we offer um, as as a, a, a good option. Where the space is limited, and uh, also in the future, we're or already we're offering and developing hydrocarbon mixers. Uh, some of the solutions in the future are going to require hydrocarbon injection into a smaller area uh, in between two urea dosing systems, for instance. And having a really good uniform hydrocarbon mix is, is important to be able to regenerate filter, but also. Uh, do that in such a manner the temperature uniformity is real nice so uh because uh in parallel all the the lifetime requirements are getting longer for these systems right so um yeah so we're preparing all these products and and offering these we think they're going to be uh very useful in the future um well, one of the issues, the, the, the tensions that, that come into play, I guess, when you're develop, developing these products and offering these solutions is the continuous pressure for uh, increased uh, fuel efficiency. Um, and I guess as engines become more fuel efficient, the, you know, the energy available in the exhaust goes down and and, uh, and you're having to, to do other do other things to manage the, the thermal, uh, thermal activity of the catalysts and, and so on. How, how, what do you do and how do you think about um, optimizing and and and, uh, and not reversing the gains made by the, in the engine in in terms of fuel efficiency by using extra energy in the exhaust in 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 the in the heaters and and other measures you know uh, exhaust valves and so on. What's your approach and can you share some some insights into how, how you can manage these thermal issues without uh, with you know in the most energy efficient manner? I guess is the question, and I know that's a key. Uh, focus of of the development you've 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 brought to market well one thing I, I can add about that is that uh in designing the heater products we offer that the expected power of the unit is is therefore really relevant right and yeah. uh 
a real nice benefit of uh, our fractal heater in particular is uh, we can tailor the power from that unit um, very, very well. It, it's very flexible and it's uh, designed for a given application. So uh, a, a power, uh, a unit that or an application that needs X kilowatts is not going to get a heater that is capable of double the power simply because that's what's on the shelf, you know. Um, so we can really tailor the product to what the application really needs. Uh, th that's one point. And uh, beyond that, um, we recognize that one of the, because the efficiency is a factor for OEM, sometimes they may select different powertrain options, right? There are different powertrain options that are out there. And although, of course, we do not select powertrains, we're not, you know, that's not our business. You know, to say, okay, use cylinder deactivation, use uh, a hybrid, you know, use stop start, whatever. Uh, it is our business to recognize uh, what that means for the after treatment system and therefore to offer after treatment solutions that complement that. So we know in uh, gasoline, you know, full hybrid capacitor cars, uh, you know, we need to offer a product that can heat very, very rapidly when the uh, um, engine comes on after a period that's off. And we, so therefore that's what we're doing and and maybe in a uh, diesel long haul system you know if it has uh cylinder deactivation or if it's stop start whatever then then that means something different for the heat usage because it's not going to be pumping uh cold gas at idle right so um so the best thing we can do is to offer uh after treatment solutions that are really well aligned to the vehicle level uh efficiency solutions right so that means very flexible technologies to match the the engine strategies you paired with i guess absolutely okay, for, for our listeners that aren't deep into uh, thermal management can you give us a quick summary of what uh, what your fractal heater and your lamella heater are what in practice in practical terms what do they do um in to, to do the heating well, uh, both of them are ohmic heaters, uh, so uh, they are converting current into into heat, uh, more or less what you know from uh, some of the household hold appliances uh, as well. It's uh, actually the lamella heater is based on on a very similar technology. It's an isolated heater rod that many of you have in, installed, let's say in in a in a, in a furnace or whatever, um, and um, uh, it's for the application in in in, in uh, automotive uh, systems of course the voltage level needs to be uh, adapted i mean on household appliances you have that technology based on 110 or 220 volts uh, and here of course we have let's say for those uh, most likely uh, apl applications we have 48 volt um, lev uh, voltage level in those applications and so this needs to be adjusted and then um, at the same uh, time, we also need to um, then tailor towards uh, required heat up times, uh, best um, heat transfer from the heated surfaces into the gas. Those are the parameters we can uh, uh, change. Uh, and you mentioned our two products, the fractal heater and the lamella heater. The lamella heater has a, a much uh, bigger surface area, uh, which is then helping, uh, which can also be coated. So you can have a, a coatable and electrically active uh, uh, catalyst uh, 
uh, that way, uh, while the fractal heater is what uh, uh, Jack already mentioned, is uh, very uh, good to tailor into difficult packaging situation uh, constraints um, with minimal depth, so you don't have to sacrifice any catalyst length in order to integrate that into your exhaust system. So that's more or less the two directions we follow with those products, uh, which by themselves have each those particular um, use cases. Yeah, great. That makes sense. Uh, can, can we talk a little bit about North America, especially US regulations? Um, we know the landscape, yeah, it's developing um, with the new administration. We've got the greenhouse gas fuel efficiency regulations in parallel with discussions about uh, criteria pollutants. What do you see as the biggest regulatory challenge coming for, for heavy duty, for your heavy duty customers? Uh, do you think it's uh, yeah, the, the obvious answer is the combination of meeting everything. But you know, where do you see particular challenges uh, coming in terms of which which step is going to be the stretch, uh, which area of technology is going to be the the one that's going to need the most work? Well, yeah, certainly everybody right now is working on how to achieve all the all the targets in parallel, which is mandatory, but especially the the low NOx target, uh, ultra low NOx target, you know, so for uh, CARB 2027, we have to reach 0 0.02 grams per horsepower of, of NOx out. And, and meanwhile, everybody also understands that over a, a much wider uh, uh, set of operating conditions than previously. And, and in the background, it's got to be done um, with increasing mileage requirements, increasing durability requirements. So um, probably people have their eye, including us, on the durability requirements and so on, but the, the NOx requirement itself is just really special, you know. Uh, there's different potential ways to do this. Um, uh, I'd, I'd simply say our, our customers are are still exploring uh, what's the best way, right? And and we're supporting them in, uh, in every way possible. We did a d demonstration, participated demonstration project that de uh, was successful in getting the 0.02 transfer horsepower hour on a on a system with H catalyst. So uh, uh, that specific requirement is going to occupy a lot of engineering time over the next few years. If you had to, if you had to just uh, take some just take your crystal ball and, and 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 look at what you think we could see to achieve that 0.02, do, do you think we'll see well, what's the menu of options? I guess dual dosing, to, you know, double SCR systems. Uh, what else? You know, what 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 are we going to see in terms of the the most likely? What are the most likely candidates currently to to reach that ultra low NOx level? Yeah, in this market, anyway, dual dosing and and uh, um, with additional heat uh, seem to be universally considered as important. So. That's why we we put a lot of work into making sure that specifically that our mixing technology is really top notch. That our compact rea processing unit uh, really as good as we can get it and better than uh, what else we might see. And also that our our lamella heater and fractal heater are really fitting the needs of of quite a lot of applications. So we see those as nearly universally considered. You know. Um, 
uh, that's from an after treatment point of view. OEMs may, might also consider powertrain stuff from an after treatment point of view. It, it, the winds are pushing really strongly towards dual dosing and with additional heat. Yeah, no, it's a quick question for me because I think this, this, I think at the moment there is so much energy. I could say the word, if I could say energy, and there's so much energy around the industries at the moment. You know, there's so many different dynamic solutions being discussed, proposed, invested in, and it's great to see the industry moving quite, I wouldn't say aggressively, but in in, in a forward manner, um, and and to some degree quite open to different solutions. It creates some opportunities for, I guess, engineers <laughs> significantly because they were working very hard, but there are some significant challenges as well, um, i.e., you know, OEMs are investing in different solutions and which solution are they seeing to be the ideal uh, way forward is the question. Um, but it, again, it's, it's good to see so much happening in the industry um, compared to maybe a year or two ago. Um, so it's great to see. But my, my question is slightly on a different tack and I, I must give appreciation um, to Mayor, Mayor Joshi because he, uh, he releases a monthly article, which is great. So it comes from that. Um, but it's, it's based on the science of the total environment, which is one of the largest studies in California that measured in-use NOx emissions from 50 heavy-duty trucks and buses for various vocations. This is probably a question for you, Jack. Um, so they had different with different emissions reduction solutions, be it SCR, hybrid, CNG, LPG. Um, PEMs were used to measure emissions on actual driving routes. So this is really what, I guess, what uh, legislators want to see um, I guess the industry also wants to see realistic results and realistic uh, targets, I guess, being in play. Um, so they used uh, the vehicles were they, they traveled less than 435,000 miles prior to driving. So they, they replicated real life conditions, as I mentioned. So um, these results were as can be expected in terms of high emissions at low load, low speed or start stop driving, so those urban routes, um, 0.6 grams per mile of NOx on highway portions versus two grams per mile on urban pickup portions. So, I mean, it, the, the study is there and it's clear to see that idling in diesel contributed to 31% of overall emissions, which is similar to for CNG, which represented to 20 to 33%. So the question for Jack or Volker is, what do you think this copious study means for us in the industry and what would the impacts on the future potential of advanced power chain and artery technologies be potentially because it's clear that you know for urban transit urban um, routes and routes as I say in the US routes <laughs> um, um, idle time is a key issue so what do you what do you what do you think this means? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, fundamentally, it means that the uh, industry is really expected to, and, and I, from my perspective, understands that the targets are to be met over a really, really wide range of operating conditions. And, and, and so there's much less talk of exactly what is the test cycle, you know, and that's what we, you know, th then there might have been maybe 20 years ago or whatever, right? The, the system is simply expected to work. And uh, the, of course, electric heating in, conceptually has been out there for a long time. But this point that you made, George, is 
uh, one of the factors in, that's driving the acceptance of it now. It has to simply, it has to, the system has to work, right? Low load, idle, whatever, the system has to work. And therefore, there are a lot of operating conditions where fundamentally heat must be added, you know. So, and that's, so again, the lamellar fractal heater, that's kind of what they're for. Um, we view ourselves anyway as kind of a partner of the OEM in selecting and designing the appropriate technology for any given uh, any given vehicle. Um, and you know, we and we we take some pride in that. We, although the name is new, <laughs> Purim Fiber Space, or although the name is new, um, we have a few hundred experts around the world and decades of designing exhaust after, after treatment systems. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, and I hope that answered the question. Uh, you know, fundam fundamentally, the I, I my sense is that the mood is has uh, shifted and everybody really accepts that additional heat's going to be needed. High injection rates are going to be needed. You know, how much can we inject in order to really scrub the NOx uh, from the system? So, and 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 rather than working towards uh, you know the minimum usage to achieve a given target now the, the it's kind of what's the best conversion we can get and that's what we're going for yeah jack just wanted to add the name might be new purem by Eberspecher, but the mission is still the same and it's not even incorporated in the name right purem pure emissions so uh, of course the challenge is here, but uh, we uh, have the right products on our roadmap to uh, to um, to cope uh, and to provide solutions. Jack, I wanted to just emphasize your point. I think it's a philosophical point almost that um, systems were previously optimized uh, to meet the test cycles, but you know, the world's moved so fast since then, hasn't it? And really. Uh, there's scrutiny and there's customers and, and, and us in the industry want to deliver clean products. And I think that's a big driver towards the way this, the technologies are implemented. It's um, much wider operating windows and we want, you know, we want vehicles to be clean. So I really do agree that the technologies that allow that flexibility are going to be the ones I think that see the, the greatest success. Absolutely. I want to do turn, to, if I can, to to compare what we've discussed with with Euro Seven in Europe, um, which is also a challenging regulation. Now the, the Commission attempting to unify heavy duty and light duty. Do you, Volker, uh, especially I guess especially for you, do you see the the same challenges um, as as we've discussed for North American heavy duty, and and where do you see that the focus for Product development for technology going forward, as 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 your customers and and you configure systems to to meet those new Euro Seven requirements. Mm -hmm. um, I I think uh, the challenges are very similar because the legislations will also be uh, quite similar, but of course differing in some key areas. Uh, and let me get to that. Um, what uh, seems clear is that this ultra low NOx uh, requirement is, is apparent as well and it will be implemented in the Euro 7 um, over a 
very broad range of uh, applications and uh, driving conditions. I think uh, the Commission has clearly seen in the Euro 60 since the introduction of the real driving emissions uh, requirement in the certification that um, it has been a major driver to implement the technologies that are needed to achieve very clear clean uh, emissions. Um, so. Uh, that uh, it goes that far that um, there will not be even any more specific uh, uh, cycles. Uh, it's under discussion uh, that there will not be any more specific cycles that you can uh, refer to. It just has to function over the broad range of conditions, uh, 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 except that there are certain conditions, let's say at extreme altitudes or whatever, where the, the the limits will be adjusted, but more or less that not like in the past, where for certain accelerations, certain altitudes, uh, there have been exemptions. This will, I think, the Commission seems to be trying to eliminate that. So the ultra low NOx, as I said, is 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 clearly one challenge, and the solutions are quite similar to what was mentioned. The dual dosing system, uh, uh, second uh, SCR uh, catalyst, uh, uh, closer, not quite, uh, really closely coupled, but in front of the uh, uh, the, the system so far. Um, but then I would say there are a couple of differences in the uh, regulations the, as as they are proposed. Um, the nitrous oxide N2O and the uh, uh, methane, uh, where in the US, I think they're counted as uh, greenhouse gases. In uh, the Euro 7 legislation, it seems they are um, they are uh, targeted as, as a limited emissions uh, in the legislation, which of course is a big challenge because, you know, with the current uh, SCR catalyst technology, there's always the side reaction that you are creating uh, uh, N2O. So um, also on that catalyst technologies, we need uh, lower sensitivity to that uh, uh, side reaction um, and uh, maybe uh, also some other measures. Um, and then lastly, I would like to mention the particulates. Uh, the particulate emissions uh, is also in Europe. Uh, the, the number of particulates and the size of the particulates uh, both are being reduced. Um, and um, as far as I know from, from the car 2024 20, and 27, it's more or less still oriented towards the particulate mass uh, where in Europe there's these there are these additional requirements on the particulates. So that again demands new uh, filter or improved filter technologies. Um, yeah, I think that those are some detailed differences, but the overall is clear. Uh, overall uh, operating conditions, uh, very low emissions on, on all fronts. Thank you for that. I've got a question about um, the uh, another component of the system, the catalysts. You know, you guys are responsible for the physical side, the the the, uh, the, the flow of gas, the heating, the filtration, and so on. Um, but you you know your your uh, compatriots in the catalyst companies also have to deliver uh, results for for these new systems. Um, I know you you're doing a lot of heavy lifting uh, for these new requirements by the systems you're developing. What do you think are the biggest challenges you, you, from your perspective you see that uh, being demanded from catalyst suppliers to meet these new requirements? Just as your neighbors and, and your your, your, your uh, colleagues in the emissions control area, what do you think the, the biggest challenges are for catalyst suppliers? Either of you. 
Well, okay, I'll, I'll keep my, my answer short, but it's, uh, as you said, it's not exactly our business. It's mostly uh, a, a black box from a business point of view. Um, the we have the benefit uh, we make the stainless steel part of the system and th th there's an awful lot of science of, about uh, long-term durability you know uh, fatigue of systems as you extend durability requirements corrosion and so on and um, yeah i mean the 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 lifetime requirements have gone up so the um yeah i mean that's that's probably some uh, something's really special I'd say the durability and expectations on a catalyst are kind of new, something brand new, you know. So, from my understanding, and, and uh, as as you mentioned, it's not that's not our our business, that of our compatriots, but that's uh, it's something they have to look at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe let me add because I already mentioned it. I think the N2O selectivity on the SCR catalyst is clearly something they're working on to reduce that uh, because of the expected uh, Euro 7 legislation. Um, the particulates, the filter technology needs to adapt to these uh, uh, smaller particulate sizes and the smaller numbers. And even there are, um, you know, in the past, uh, some of the tests for the certification were only done with. Uh, on the filter side, uh, with some preloaded uh, systems, so uh, the the uh, they were run for a certain mileage, um, and now uh, there are also some requirements for fresh uh, filters. So um, the this uh, um, property of the filters that they are working better once they have uh, are loaded to a certain degree. Um, this is something that they now also need to uh, implement in the in the fresh state, and so that's clearly a challenge as well. So. Just like uh, for the overall system uh, and the urea conversion, that of course, with our uh, uh, our knowledge on the uh, urea preparation, uh, it's so it will be so critical to achieve those limits uh, on the on the catalyst side. Of course, the the challenges are there as well. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so you're not alone in having to uh, put in the, uh, the 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 late nights and weekends to um, to to achieve these requirements uh, there's going to be there is a lot of work going on from the catalysis uh, point of view as well absolutely um slightly changing tack and and uh, i think probably my last question but uh, a big theme of course is electrification generally um but also some groups are making a very good case for the fact that we should focus on hybridization as 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 our, the best use of, especially in the next few years, of of limited battery resources. So, if we see ever increasing levels of hybridization in heavy duty and light duty, how do you how do you see that impacting on emissions and on, on the design of of your systems? Uh, bearing in mind that you know there's engine engine performance and and characteristics will change uh, do change with various various hybrid implementation schemes. I, um, of course, with the hybridization, um, this could mean for certain cases that uh, uh, we have, let's say, lower ex raw exhaust temperatures, uh, or even uh, that we have we are cooling out uh, the exhaust system, we go into light out. So this is something which needs to be monitored and, and, and uh, worked against to proper thermal management, um, 
we already mentioned it, uh, the, the electrical heaters are a, a solution for that. Uh, clearly, of course, from, from the engine side, you have uh, possibilities as well. Uh, but uh, um, uh, at the same time, it, it offers some uh, uh, possibilities. If you do, let's say, talk about, let's talk about light commercial vehicle, or um, if you can do some electric drive off, uh, that of course uh, gives the exhaust after treatment some time to, uh, to uh, warm up uh, and make it uh, go to bring it to high levels of conversion before the engine is started. So on one hand, it's it's going to be a challenge uh, for some operating conditions and then the, the light out may be happening. At the same time, uh, it can also be an, a possibility, an opportunity. And maybe one last point to add is uh, with the uh, with a high power and the, the larger battery you have bought for the propulsion side, uh, of course, that means you have sufficient energy to uh, supply heaters in that thermal management. Uh, because, of course, uh, you can step down the voltage to the appropriate amount and then operate a heater out of that, out of a power capable high voltage battery, for example. Mm. Question from me, I think, and then I guess we can hear your closing thought because I've quite enjoyed this. I always enjoy them, but I've quite enjoyed having two. So maybe we need to make this a consistent theme. We need to have to two people minimum, <laughs> Tim, on, on the podcast. Uh, but um, yeah, so I mean, I know Ebersch Becker have entered uh, the hydrogen and fuel cell market. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's so good to see in terms of hydrogen based solutions. Uh, they, they experienced a tailwind, it seems significantly over the past year. Um, so I'm interested to hear how how you see IC's role amid the e-mobility transition. Do you currently view hydrogen as being more efficient than current battery solutions? Because for almost a long time, it would seem to be either electric vehicles or nothing else as an alternative. But it seems now that hydrogen it, it seems to be a, a more viable play. At the, mo at the moment, but um, I mean, what, what are you seeing as some of the key drivers towards hydrogen fuel cells for um, for trucks, but also for non-road machinery? We, let's say, the the target of clean mobility. Uh, there are different ways to reach that goal. Uh, you you need to have the right technology uh, for the right application at the right time, of course. Uh, um, and we do offer solutions and we're preparing ourselves for solutions for our upcoming uh, uh, fields as well. Um, you mentioned hydrogen, that's right. Uh, hydrogen is an ever more important topic here for the Iberspecher group. Um, there are several applications and innovative products along the hydrogen for mobility. Um, we are in discussion with multiple partners uh, from the industry side here, uh, you specifically mentioned the uh, hydrogen internal combustion engine, which is more or less now gaining a lot of traction and uh, attention. That is true because uh, besides, uh, it's not there's not only battery electric or fuel cell uh, with the hydrogen combustion. Of course, it is a locally CO2 neutral uh, 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 powertrain technology. Uh, if you can. Uh, uh, make or produce the hydrogen in a regenerative way. It's also a completely climate neutral uh, type of uh, uh, combustion. Um, and um, 
it, as it seems, there are specific applications, very high load, where um, or, or even long haul applications with high load, where um, the, um, for example, a fuel cell system runs into some thermal management challenges, a very, very high coolant de cooling demand of the fuel cell itself. Uh, and um, for applications, stationary applications like mining and so forth, where this, this coolant surface that uh, you might be reaching or needing in certain truck applications is, is less prominent. Uh, um, um, it's it's really a very viable technology. Plus, of course, it uh, it offers a lot of maturity, uh, and it's commercially competitive as well. Uh, you have an existing supply base around it. Uh, you have, let's say, OEMs have existing uh, production lines within and locations for that. So that's why. You know, we already have this 30% CO2 reduction target in uh, by the uh, 2030 in, in, in Europe. Um, and along that way to reach that, um, just uh, uh, putting all your eggs in one basket, for example, electrification, it seems that the uh, OEMs are now differentiating. I mean, every powertrain technology seems to have their sweet spot uh, and uh, their after enough or a lot of consideration, it looks as if hydrogen combustion engines has for certain applications a sweet spot. Oh, uh, yes, and of course, uh, we are preparing ourselves uh, for those. Uh, 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 it, it, it is, a, of course, it's it's a challenge for the after-treatment system. So we have much higher water content in the in the after-treatment, no, up to 18%, where before it's only 8%. The, the hydrogen possibly in, in that uh, certain opportunities that arise with uh, maybe hydrogen as a reduction uh, a reductant instead of the urea all those are some of those topics are let's say on on the early uh, stage of, of of application maybe even in the late research stage but uh, uh, it's uh, something we are working on we are uh, putting significant effort into that uh, to provide uh, uh, the at the right time the solutions for our customers. Volker, that's fascinating. Just just to just to uh, follow on on that uh, on on what you've just said about hydrogen combustion engines. Do do you see or in principle are there the same level of NOx emissions from for these engines if they are uh, providing the you know the, that kind of uh, high load um, power? Uh, in, on the applications you described, I presume, of course, there's no particulates emissions, but um, would there need to be NOx after treatment similar to what we see on diesel engines? Um, yes, that's uh, what it looks like. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned the particulates, they, they can only come from the engine oil, for example. So, most likely, you there will be a, the need for a filter, but a smaller size filter. But on the, on the uh, uh, NOx side, um, uh, maybe you've read some uh, uh, publications here. If you, you th those engines will be running very, very lean. So at low load, the emissions are very low. But when it comes to transients and especially those high load applications, um, again, you have a very similar level of raw NOx uh, emissions to the to the diesel, which of course then demands uh, NOx after treatment. So that yeah. is uh, something we're preparing for, but in a different environment. As I said. Uh, um, much higher water content, so the implications here on the, uh, the thermal aging of the catalyst and so forth needs to be all be looked at. Uh, we are engaged in that to, yes, to be there with the proper product. Fascinating.
yes, we uh, we think so too. It's uh, also really a very uh, good opportunity. I think it being technologically open here and considering the hydrogen combustion is something, um, yes, uh, especially in those uh, applications where they seem to have their sweet spot is uh, very interesting. We're having similar discussions with colleagues in the marine sector where uh, I'm sure you've, you've, you've heard or you, you know that um, companies are developing combustion engines for ammonia in particular mm -hmm. uh, for marine engines. And again, the, um, the NOx is an issue that needs to be considered carefully uh, for similar reasons. And uh, they all need to be after treatment, but with different boundary conditions and different yeah. considerations. Yes, well, I, I heard about that, yes. I think we've come to the end of the hour, so we should think of coming to, 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 to wrap the discussion up. Uh, maybe we can just ask Jack and Volker for your any final thoughts, any concluding comments, uh, things we haven't covered, but uh, come, anything come to mind? You know, from my perspective, we covered it pretty well. I don't, I don't have any technical points to add. I, I simply will say it's a really exciting time. You know, we, I, I enjoy the fact that the products I work on um, help you know clean the air. Basically, you know, they they and uh, now the regulations are getting tighter, and um, uh, the fact that the you know I think it's understood there are solution options, but what the best ones will be is is for sure not known yet you know so it's, it's an exciting time to work on this it's a good reason to get up in the morning and uh, good work yep. to be doing feel like you're making a difference yes uh, i can only agree to what jack was saying it's exciting times um uh also that this uh, fragmentation or differentiation we're seeing here in the power trains um even for something like like fuel cells where our group has recently engaged in by uh, purchasing this uh, company called Virex, which is doing compressors. We now again look into options of, of using some of those compressors for even burner t technologies and so forth. So it's, uh, it's, it's really uh, opening a lot of uh, options driven out of the requirements that we are uh, facing in this uh, decade. Uh, so it's a good time uh, to be an engineer in after treatment, I would say. Indeed, I couldn't agree more, even though I'm not an engineer, but I couldn't agree more. Um, but, I mean, we are, we are doing our part. <laughs> aspiring, aspiring. I wish I could be maybe in the next life, but we are doing our part here, Argus, to, I guess, clean, clean the air. Um, as we have been doing for the past almost 15 years, Tim, right? Through our conferences around the world. But in, in October, almost um, just over a month away now, um, we are bringing the industry together again. It's been a long time. It's almost been two years since we brought everybody together in the US. So we are bringing all stakeholders together from the regulators, the vehicle and engine manufacturers, and the automotive suppliers, all together again in Memphis, 26th or 27th, again, we get to meet face to face. I almost feel like a boxing announcer at the moment. Like our promoter, <laughs> promoter. I feel like Eddie Hearn or uh, the, the, the greats in the promoter business. But uh, I, I can't wait. Obviously, I can't go because I had a baby in November. But um, I'll be there in spirit. Uh, my colleagues will be there. The team will be there. But yeah, we just, we just, we just grateful to be to to have this opportunity to to bring everybody together. 
and we just really want to um, drive the industry forward as much as possible. So again, 26th to 27th of October, hopefully, you won't see me there in person, but um, but hopefully you will see your fellow colleagues in the industry in, in, in Memphis. But yeah, thanks again all for listening to the This Is So Exhausting podcast today. I hope you've missed us because we've certainly missed you. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, or follow, depending on how you listen to us today, with Spotify, Apple Music, or online. Uh, and more importantly, send us a message, give us, show us some love, keep us encouraging us to keep coming back and bringing, bringing on more guests, exciting guests from different parts of the industry. Uh, and let us know what we can do to help best serve you. Um, but yeah, we've missed you, we love you, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Have a good day. Bye.